Hello and welcome to the Anvil Podcast and Church's Bookshop. That's Linda. That's Georgia. And that's Andrew. And just a reminder, as always, that we don't represent any organisation that we're a part of. We are just three friends having a chat and we don't claim any particular knowledge or expertise in anything at all. So listen at your own risk, I guess. Great plug, Linda. <laughs> You're welcome. So we're going to be talking about prayer this week. So I thought we'd start with just discussing what prayer actually is to each of us and how we kind of go about praying, I suppose. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really interesting topic, I think, in that prayer is such a core part of the Christian faith and one that most of us take part in at least once a day, if not more. And yet, how often do we actually think about what prayer is and what it actually means to us? So yeah, Linda, what, what would you say prayer is? Well, it's looked like different things at different points in my life, I guess. I, As a kid, I had a beautiful, sort of simple faith. And prayer was me talking to Jesus every second of every day and everything that happened. I would be just kind of praying nonstop about anything that I needed or wanted. I, I mean, I still do that to an extent, possibly not to the same extent. It doesn't come quite as naturally to just for prayer to be my first instinct anymore. I guess maybe that's part of maturing and learning how to kind of handle some things yourself as an adult rather than when you're constantly being looked after by other people and don't have much kind of influence on your own life but I think in that there's definitely something that's that's lost in that total constant communication with God about everything every part of every day so yeah I do I think it's really important and now I suppose I I still I still talk to God um, daily, um, but I tend to come to him more with big things or difficult decisions that I have to make, and yeah, less with the what you might call smaller everyday things. Yeah, I think you probably described a fairly common sort of walk for Christians, that often as children, prayer is, it, it kind of... It's almost a get-out-of-jail-free card sometimes it feels, and that isn't to disparage prayer as a child, but I think often, I know for me as a child, prayer is that I'd often pray for something, um, like God is a sweet shop, which I don't think is a mature attitude to prayer. No one who says sweet shop can call themselves mature. <laughs> um, I no longer say sweet shop. I say sweetie shop. <laughs> oh, excellent. You know, childlike prayer is often, it, it's a very simple faith based on well, if I ask the things God gives them to me, or not, and maybe I think it, it's perhaps a quite one-dimensional prayer sometimes for children. I know for me, as I've got older, I've developed more into the idea that prayer is is not just about asking God for things, obviously, but that it's also about praying into situations, um, not necessarily asking for a particular solution, but just asking for God's presence. It's about talking to God in the way that we're chatting now. Yeah, do you know what? You've yeah, you've put something into words that I don't think I was quite able to explain. So I think when I was younger it was more of a constant talking to God, constantly asking for things. But I suppose um as well as being able to figure some things out for myself now and and I do recognise that God is in that, um, there's also more of a, a dialogue and I'm more aware of God's answers and what God might be saying and also how he might want me to pray 
So whereas before I might have come to him with like a list of requirements, now I'm a bit more aware and conscious of asking asking for God's will and trying to pray in line with what I know of God. I think that's quite interesting listening to you both talking about that because I think in some ways my experience has possibly been a bit the opposite. Um, I mean, I do think my like understanding of prayer has probably become more nuanced and more mature, I suppose, as I've got older. I think when I was a child, I was often in a situation where I didn't necessarily feel that safe or that in control of my environment. And I think the impact of that was that I had a real dialogue with God going constantly um, that went beyond just asking for stuff because I kind of needed someone in my corner and I needed a friend. Um, and I didn't necessarily have a a human adult who was always in that role. So I think God filled that for me at quite a young age and probably as I've got older and I've developed healthier relationships with people around me and connected with more people and also just become more able to control my own life and my own environment and make decisions for myself, I've needed that dialogue less, which makes it harder to, I suppose, remember to do. So I think sometimes I'm worse now at having that that dialogue and that friendship in a way, I suppose, with God, than I was as a young child. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it, how God sort of has grown to meet us each in, in our own situation. I know for me, at times when, as, as I've talked before on the podcast, when I was going through depression, God, although it was harder for me to reach him, when I did reach, he was there um, in the way I needed him, which was very gentle, actually. Um, the tough love came later. Um, but I think it's interesting how you what you were saying, Georgia, that as a, a child who doesn't feel safe, God can be there, like, enveloping you and really being that father figure. While I know for me, you know, I had a, a happy, safe childhood, mostly. And so I had my parents around. So I didn't need God in that way. I had to learn that later. I think each of us sort of has our own path in that relationship. And I think prayer and our prayer lives are often shaped by that, that walk we're on. Yeah, and I'm definitely a big believer that God reaches all of us in the way we need him at the time we need him. And he's very good at, at shaping himself to to the aspect of him we need, I suppose. Um, I think the other way in which my prayer life, I suppose, has been changing quite recently is I've really been learning a lot about praying into situations and really taking the time to sit with a situation and pray into every aspect of it and not just fire off a quick, oh, God, please help me with this or God, please be in this, but really sitting examining every aspect of something whether it's something in my own life or often with like bigger world events and really praying into it and that's something I hadn't really done until quite recently and I've been learning how that can be very I suppose lifting it can feel like a burden's been lifted when I take the time to to do more than just fire off a quick prayer and really really pray into all aspects of something so next question how do we each most commonly pray I don't very often pray aloud um I know that is literally the opposite of the question you asked <laughs> You married me, you knew what you were getting into. <laughs> um, I find often that praying aloud, I find, feels almost stunted for me sometimes. I think because I do just naturally worry about if there's anyone around me who I'm praying with. Sort of, you worry about being judged, and that may not be fair, on you know, it might not be reality, but I do definitely have that that fear, and so I definitely prefer to, to pray in my head, in, in my thoughts, and I find often it's easier to concentrate then because I'm not focusing on, on my words so much as what I'm wanting to communicate. So yeah, for me, um, it's quite common just to pray wherever I am and 
and just do it quietly, you probably wouldn't even know I'm praying. I think I pray, di- I, I definitely pray differently if I'm on my own or if I'm with other people. So I I pray out loud um, when I'm with other people in a prayer meeting or a house group or, or at work, because we pray at work. Um, lots, actually. Lots of people. And, and I think I find it personally really encouraging to pray with other people and to, to pray out loud. But definitely when I'm on my own, I would pray in my head. Although sometimes that can carry a bit of a risk of getting distracted or forgetting what I'm doing. And so sometimes, yeah, it's helpful to have a prompt, have a, a Bible in my hand, be meditating on something in particular, or, or to journal as I pray, to, like to write my prayers out. I've done that before. Yeah, I think the two ways I most commonly pray are probably that kind of throughout the day, just firing off a quick, like really genuinely like one line prayer if something's happened or... Um, you know, particularly when I'm at work, if I have a customer in the shop who's really going through something and I'm not really sure how to respond, I might just really quickly go, God, please kind of give me wisdom and guidance in this. And, you know, whatever the case will be, stupid things like worrying that, I don't know, I've forgotten to, I don't know, lock the front door when I went out of the house or something and just kind of, a uh, God, please, can I have actually remember to do that and please take away the anxiety about that or whatever it is. Um, I think I do that kind of quite constantly. I'm kind of almost automatically without really thinking about it. And I think the other thing I do really commonly is I try and make a habit of praying at the end of every day um, and kind of balancing the the praying in the situations with the actual taking the time for the gratitude and also just trying to remember to do that, just like you say, kind of general dialogue that isn't about the giving or the receiving, but just about the kind of relationship with God. The other thing I do actually find very valuable and I find increasingly valuable as I get older is more structured prayers in in a church setting, perhaps. Because I very much, as a teenager particularly, would have been someone who wasn't very into pre-written prayers and kind of didn't see the point of them. And I think I've come to appreciate over time the, the value of actually reading a prayer someone else has written or taking part in kind of liturgical prayer. Yeah, um, interesting you bring that up because I grew up very much in sort of uh, more uh, modern churches where you didn't really have pre-written prayers or, or set prayers. Um, and since I've been going to Anglican churches and now Methodist churches, obviously that makes a much big is a much bigger part of the service. And interestingly, while growing up for me, set prayers didn't feel like real praying. Uh, if I'm honest, it sounded just like rehearsed poetry to me. Nowadays, I actually find myself a lot more uncomfortable with open-ended prayers and open-ended times of prayer. And I think part of that is that I've come to understand my my Asperger's a little more. And I found actually that for me, that that aspect of worship is, is, has always been difficult, but it's become clear why it's difficult, even more so that I uh, am... Um, that not knowing who's going to speak when or how they're going to speak for, what sort of things you're expected to say, or if you start talking, someone else suddenly starts praying at the same time as you, and it's awkward. I actually now find that set prayers I can find really helpful if they are clearly thought through. I think sometimes you've got cases where where the prayers have been picked, but they're not really picked specifically for that service. You know, they, they don't speak into the particular service, the particular 
place. And in that case, it feels, to me, I guess, again, like nice poetry, but that's it. While if a, a prayer has been picked and it, is, it speaks into the situation, but using language that has been thought through carefully, I find that actually increasingly because I'm, I'm coming more and more to appreciate the set prayer. We're all getting so much more traditional in our old age, aren't we? It's kind of <laughs> depressing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I really related to something that you said there about um, that it didn't used to feel like real prayers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely remember having that opinion as a, as a teenager. I was in a very particular pre-church at the time, and it was just that I had such a, a mindset that we were the right way to do church and that um we we took god seriously and we took the holy spirit seriously and um uh, and all of that kind of thing and i almost didn't really think of my my friends in other denominations as like christians in the same way that i am yeah i'm ashamed to think about that now but i mean one of the big key differences would have been spontaneous prayer or set prayer and because everybody in my church prayed spontaneously I thought that was the right way to do it and um, but I have like, like you guys come to really appreciate um like prepared <laughs> prayers um and, and I wouldn't want that exclusively I think I think there's something nice about the freedom to talk to God and to know that anybody can talk to God. It doesn't have to be just a person at the front. Um, that it's a part of every Christian's relationship with God is that talking and listening. But I think I think I can definitely appreciate both now in a way that I probably couldn't years ago. Yeah, I think I'm exactly the same. It's not that I would want to move to a place where all I ever had in either in my personal life or in a sort of church context, was structured prayers. I find that quite kind of narrow and restrictive, I think. But I've come to appreciate a place for structured prayers and see the value they do have. And I think I agree with what you've both said. I think as a teenager, I probably kind of wouldn't have thought they really counted. So, what is all of our experience of answered prayers? Oh, I have a really good one recently. I can't remember if I've actually mentioned this on the podcast before, but I've very recently passed my driving test and it was such an ordeal getting to that point i i think it was my ninth attempt i want to say it was my ninth attempt well no i don't want to because that's <laughs> shockingly embarrassing but there were many many months because you have to wait a month after each test and it was just i like honestly i should have passed on my second test And then after my second fail, it just became purely psychological. I would drive perfectly every lesson, get into the test, and just, it would all go to part, and I would just make stupid mistakes, and then have to wait another month to take it again. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it was such an ordeal, and what made it even worse was that I really, really needed it for my job. Um, And it had got, yeah, it had got really to a, a bad point where I was on test number eight and then I failed that and then I had kind of like four more shots really to pass before the summer um and I really really needed to pass before the summer otherwise it was going to be difficult but you know going in for test number nine I thought well at least I know that if I don't pass this one I've got you know three or more opportunities 
but that wasn't quite good enough for me. I was resolved to pass on test number nine, and I, I prayed so hard. And this is where I really kind of rediscovered the whole idea of prayer petition, where you're praying for yourself. And I took it to the extreme, and I literally wrote a petition and got my friends to sign it. I was like, God, you need to, you know, I need to pass this one. I know I have other chances, but I really want to pass this time. Um, and as it happened, uh, it was a great test. I, I passed with flying colours. And then immediately after passing, we went into lockdown and the test centre shut down and no one was allowed to take any more driving tests. So I wouldn't have got my, my three other opportunities that I was banking on. So that was just a really good, really specific answer to prayer where I'd kind of said, I know that I could, but I um, resolved this time that I need to pass. And I got really real with God. And I think that was, that's been quite unusual because like I mentioned earlier that I used to have more that kind of relationship where I would just say exactly what I was thinking or exactly what I wanted and now it's more kind of let's pray in line with uh, what do I think God is saying and, and kind of thinking it all through a bit more but I think this time I just made a very conscious decision that I was like this is what I want please God give me this and and he did um, so yeah that was really special and um, I can now drive and it makes everything better. Yay! Yeah, so I think my experience of answered prayers often has to do with God pranking me. <laughs> Something he has done a lot in my life is answered my prayers and in ways that were not really what I meant and very much not what I wanted. What, like swapping all your coffee granules for gravy or something? I've never done that. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That would be a good one. But more like, I'm trying to think of a good example now. But like, well, I would pray for something and he would answer it, but answer it in like a way where he'd really twisted what I'd asked for and what I got was not what I wanted, but it was technically what I said I wanted. Right. Basically, he has a cruel and devious sense of humour. <laughs> Let's just make it clear that as the Amber, we do not think that God is cruel. Or devious. That is just Georgia. (laughs) Okay, evil. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm going to be struck down by lightning. Um, Quite possibly. Almost certainly, I'm actually surprised that hasn't happened yet. He's looking stormy out there. (laughs) He's coming. Um, Okay, but he has a sense of humour. We'll we'll leave the adjectives off. And I think something something I've learned is that actually sometimes he does that actually to teach me a very good lesson, which is that sometimes what I think I want is not actually what's best for me. And I think there are absolute circumstances, like Linda's driving test was a really good example of that, where there are very specific things that it's absolutely okay to want and to pray for and petition God for. And I don't think he ever minds us petitioning him or even actually kind of arguing with him and kind of stating our side of side of the argument, our point of view. But I think something I personally have learned is that often I need to actually take a step back from what I want and go, what does God want? Um, and I've learned to pray a lot more along the lines of this situation is really hurting me or really bothering me and please can your your will be worked out in it whatever that will is and please can you help me to kind of see see what it is you want want me to do or want me to take from this and and find some positive in it and I think often then I've experienced answers to prayers that are less irritating (laughs) 
I'm going to share a story that's not actually my own. It's one I, I came with when I was a young person and, and laid out church. Tell, we'll talk about prayer and answer to prayer. Now, give me an example of, of prayer. Now, at the end, I'll explain why I don't necessarily fully approve of this approach. But it is interesting. There's a um, lady in church and she um, was involved in a big meal for, for the community. And she came in. Um, on the day and found that all the shepherd's pies lined up, about to go in the oven, but all just lined up on the counter. said, oh, um, how do you fit these all in the fridge? I said, oh no, I didn't, they've been there since last night. And the woman, obviously, who was making them hadn't, for some reason, didn't think that raw meat in a shepherd's pie, or meat in pie, needs to be refrigerated overnight. Um, and this, this lady essentially said, oh, so, you know, I, I didn't want to upset her, or, you know, or throw them away, but I, I just, you know, I felt like they, they felt like you know, they had warmed up. So I, I said a prayer to God for protection and no one got sick. <laughs> now, oh, risky. It is great that no one got sick. From a food hygiene perspective <laughs> and a safety perspective, I love the lady who, who did this. And if she happens to listen and recognise herself, sorry for telling your story. <laughs> but I think that perhaps it wasn't the best way to go about that situation. I think we can entrust our prayers to God. But um, we also have to take the initiative where there's something we practically can do. In this case, if she wants the shepherd pie not to make people ill, what you can do is not let people eat the shepherd pie. I think one of my favourite stories is the one which you probably all know about the man who's drowning and a boat comes by and tries to rescue him and he goes, oh no, don't worry, God will rescue me. And then an hour later, another boat comes by and tries to pick him up and he goes, oh no, don't worry, God's going to rescue me. And an hour later, a third boat comes by and says the same thing. And again, he refuses it. And then he drowns and he gets to heaven and he goes, God, why didn't you rescue me? And God goes, I sent three boats. And I do think that sometimes um, answers to prayer can look more practical than perhaps we're looking for. Um, or they don't look, I suppose, back to my being cramped by God um, yeah. statement. They don't necessarily look the way we expect them to, but that doesn't mean they're not there. And it can be kind of a dangerous road to go down to require God to always act in ways that are supernatural and miraculous. Because you get into things like not going to the doctor or using the kind of practical blessings that God has given us already. Yeah, I think, um, isn't it, you, everything you can do, you should do it. And everything you can't, you pray about. I think that you can pray about the things that you can do as well. Um, but I think that that doesn't absolve your responsibility to do what you can do. Yeah. Yeah, you I, can do both. Yeah, you? I guess yeah, yeah you, you, you pray for everything but don't if you can do something practically about a situation, yeah. don't just ask God and expect him to do it for you. He's not your butler. Yeah. Um, you know, the the point is that if you've got practical gifts and you know, the Bible says we we're Jesus' hands and feet on earth. Mm. So um actually if there's something to be done Wait, does it? <laughs> I think it does. I mean I know I've heard that as a phrase. Interesting question. Definitely. I assume that was in the Bible, but I couldn't tell you where. Well, let's look it up later. Um, we'll look it up later. <laughs> you will find out later whether or not I was right. And let us know. But assuming that's right, um, talk about the church of the body of Christ is definitely in the Bible. Oh, okay, yeah, that's interesting. You know, but the fact is, if God's going to act on earth, is the number one way He chooses to do that is through the church, which is us. <laughs> so don't don't start thinking that you need to pray for you know, some dramatic miracle when actually. What we need is to be the church and to love and to actually put shepherds behind the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, 
Let's say beautifully phrased. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, also I suppose yeah. the other thing to draw out of that is sometimes we are the answer to prayer. Um, and not to be afraid of embracing embracing mm-hmm. being the answer to someone else's prayer. And that God can use us in that way. Yeah, and I think there's definitely something to the... If, if you're always uh, expecting a miracle or needing a miracle... Um, is that what your faith is based on? Those kind of signs, miraculous signs. Because um, sometimes I think it can be more faith building to um, to know that God is there even when there isn't a miracle or a really obvious kind of show of supernatural power. If our prayer life is going to help our faith to mature, then I think sometimes we need to not rely on there being a miraculous or supernatural experience. Yeah, I definitely would agree. I think our whole, our faith as a whole becomes kind of deeper and more nuanced when we begin to recognise God, not just in, in church or in the big supernatural miraculous stuff, but in the everyday practical kind of earthy stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And I think he is definitely there in both. So, final question is a more difficult one, which is how do we, slash, I suppose, should we respond when God's answers don't look the way we want them to? Georgia, I feel like you should answer this one. <laughs> um, stop playing. No, kidding. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> You're on a heresy roll today. Oh, no, I need to sleep. Last week it was me going on. This week it's Georgia. <laughs> yeah, probably be my turn next week. Um... I think maybe on a more serious note, there is when that happens, there is a a time to maybe stop and pray for some for the discernment and the wisdom, I suppose, to see to see what God is doing in a situation when He appears to be absent. Because I don't think God is ever absent, particularly from our pain. You know, when we're going through stuff that really hurts, God doesn't just disappear on us, but He doesn't always look as obvious as we expect him to, and he doesn't always appear in the ways we expect him to. And I think sometimes when we feel like our prayers aren't being answered, or when our prayers haven't been answered the way we were hoping for them to be answered, it's 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 a time to kind of just step back and ask for some wisdom and discernment for recognising where God is in that situation. Yeah, I think it's um, interesting. In the Bible, Jesus says, you know, whatever you ask for in my name, you'll be given. And I think that can be easily turned into, I've probably mangled the quote, I'm well aware, um, but that can easily be turned into uh, a sense of, well, if I ask for it, God has to give it to me. And the, the key words are, in my name. And that means so much more than saying in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer. It's, you know... It's not like a magic word. No. Honestly, as a kid, that's my impression of it, because I'd never explained to me why we said it. So I always thought, you say in Jesus' name, so so God knows you're a Christian or something, <laughs> and knows to answer that prayer, yeah. um, which is a very juvenile understanding of it, but understandable in the circumstances. But for me, it's about being aligned with Jesus' will. You're asking in his name, you're asking, um, sort of put his will petition with Jesus. And so um, I think we... It's hard to keep faith in God when the answers don't line up, or the answer often is exactly that we're not lined up with the will of God. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean... I think that can lead to an, old, an opposite problem, which is becoming too scared to pray for anything in particular. Yeah. And I know I've had that where 
I felt I couldn't pray for a particular outcome because uh, what if I'm wrong and then what's happening to my faith then? Yeah. Um, but I think there's a sort of a middle road where we can ask God specifically for what we believe is his will, but that we have in our heart that, that prayer you pray in Gethsemane, your will be done. You know, not my will, but yours. And I think as long as we've got that in our hearts that we can ask, we're asking earnestly in, in faith, but at the end of the day, if God answers differently, then we have to say, okay, that was your will. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when Jesus played, prayed, let this cup be taken from me, that prayer wasn't answered the way he wanted it to. But he yeah. had that, that sort of in his heart, you know, but not my will, let yours be done. Yeah, he wanted to, to be out of that situation. And. Yeah, no one wants to suffer. And where he was on the Garden of Gethsemane, right on the road to Bethany, which is safety, all he had to do to avoid crucifixion was to keep walking. So actually that makes that prayer even more poignant for me, hmm. that he he prayed and stayed through it and stayed faithful. That is the example there where there's an escape route from God's will, and we don't escape, we don't try and escape from it. But we are able to sit in it and say, this is what I want. But ultimately, God, you have control. Because ultimately, he has control whether we admit it or not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think God never, there's never been any promise that being a Christian would make our lives easy or free of pain. But there is a promise that whatever we're going through, we'll never go through it alone. Yeah, I think think my answer to to kind of what do we do if... um, if we don't see an answer that we're expecting, would be to keep praying. And I don't mean that in that we we should just keep praying and then we'll get the answer that we want. But I think um I think the yeah, coming back to what we're saying about our faith not being dependent on uh, a miracle, I think in the same way it it needs to not be dependent on us getting the answer that we want. And so we need to keep up that relationship. We need to keep praying. And if, if it is something that we still feel we really need, then I think like that prayer repetition, keep praying for it. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to get it, but surely if we're constantly bringing it before God, then we might get some more clarity on the issue over time, as long as we're listening as much as we're talking. Um, and I think, yeah, you can you can tell God I don't understand why I haven't got this, and and what what are you doing here, and just have those really open, honest conversations with Him. Um, and I think that that is more helpful than sort of trying to protect yourself by kind of shutting off that from from the the disappointment and going, oh well, it wasn't that important, or never mind, I'm sure God has a plan or something. Um, I think, yeah, just keeping that communication up and, yeah, trying to continue to to get to know God's will. Um, and, and we're not always going to know exactly the reason why we didn't get the thing that we wanted. But I think, I think that it is really important to keep praying and not to be, not to be put off. 
Yeah, I think I've definitely learned that God prefers it when I'm shouting at him to when, I, when I'm ignoring him. And I think yeah. my, my faith is in a better place when that's the case as well. So I'm going through something and I'm angry with God and I feel like he's not showed up to where I wanted him to. My faith is stronger if my response to that is actually to really bail against God and shout and scream and ask why and demand answers than if I just shut down that side of my life and shut down my faith and go all kind of silent treatmenty. Oh yeah, there's nothing worse than when your friends do that. Yeah, um, I guess for a lesson that, I guess look at the book of Job. You know, one of the oldest books of the Bible, and you've got Job, who is that person who's raving against saying, "No, this isn't just, this isn't fair," and you've got his friends who are basically saying, "It's God's will, live with it. You must have done something wrong." He's just basically saying to just accept it, and God doesn't rebuke Job in the way he rebukes his friends. In the end, you know, God answers Job in a way. He never tells him why he was suffering. Probably yeah. because I made a bet with Satan doesn't sound great when you are God. <laughs> um, it's in the Bible. Not heresy this time. Um, but, That's my job. <laughs> but, but, it was a wager of some form. It was like, you know, you can't, if you don't yeah. continue to bless him, he won't follow you. Yeah. If you let me strike him down, and, you know, I... I do everything but kill him, he won't follow you anymore. He only follows you because he's good. And God says, yeah, he will. And you can prove it. Yeah. But yeah, I think that um, in that story at the end, while Job doesn't know why he suffered, he does get out of the world of why he doesn't know. You know, mm-hmm. you know if you, my favorite line here, the, the storehouse is laden with snow. Yeah. It's a beautiful image. But his friends, they, Job has to pray on their behalf and intercede for them. Because God is angry at them for their response. I think that kind of shines a light on God's character, doesn't it? That He'd rather we are, when things don't seem right, that we are railing and shouting and screaming. Because we are his children and he wants us to love and trust him. But trust doesn't come from just going along passively, actually. Mm-hmm. Trust comes saying, I know you're a good God and you're a fair God and this doesn't seem right. Um, and, you know, obviously knowing that we don't know everything and he does. That, that actually making a fuss is not a bad thing. I think that's true of any relationship, isn't it? That relationships are healthy when we're able to, to question each other. And when something goes wrong in a relationship, whether it's a friendship or a marriage or a sibling relationship or whatever it is, as long as the, you're, you're more moving towards healing of whatever that problem is when you're shouting and screaming about it than when you just shut down and refuse to engage in conversation. Because at least then the the doors are still open, I suppose. And based on that, George and I are going to go have a massive screaming match later. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite what I meant. Um, Okay, so I think that brings us about to time. Um, So I've got two quick book recommendations. Um, The first one, it's called Mountain Moving Prayer, The Unlimited Potential. It's by Deborah Green. It's published by SPCK, and it's £8.99. And that one is... I suppose it's about the the power of prayer, the value of prayer, and the difference it can make in your life. It's very much sort of about, it's not a how-to guide, it's about why pray, I suppose. And then the second called The Little Book of Prayer Experiments. It's by Miranda Frelthel-Holmes, which I've hopefully pronounced right, probably haven't. It's published by SBCK, and that one's nine ninety nine, And that one is 
the opposite. That is a guide to different forms of prayer, including some more unusual forms of prayer that you might not have encountered before. So if you are wanting to kind of maybe revamp your prayer life or try out something new and different, um, that's the book to go for. And there are also versions of that book for teenagers and for children, which are really brilliant. Contact your local Christian bookshop. They are mostly reopen around the UK now. Um, or you can contact us at Church's Bookshop on Facebook or our website. Guys, we've nearly finished season one. Wow. Yeah, so it. yeah, next week is going to be the the last episode in this season. And we're going to be, it's going to be more of a reflective one, looking back on kind of best moments, things we've learned. And... Might even rebroadcast the famous Moo. <laughs> my way we, might, we, do, we have to now <laughs> Andrew has spoken <laughs> yeah so um, yeah so join us next week for that and then we'll be taking a short break um, before we come back for season 2 yeah basically we're sick of each other <laughs> yeah, especially Georgia and I not going to be speaking um, but uh, on that note we hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Anvil you can find us on Facebook facebook.com forward slash The Anvil uh, give us a like. Uh, you can also find us on the internet. Facebook is the internet. Um, <laughs> you can tell at the end of the season, and I am tired. Um, you can find us at www.churchesbookshop.im. Scroll down under the link to the Anvil podcast, where there um, is more information on how to subscribe on Acast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and various other podcast platforms. I've said the word podcast too much, it doesn't seem real. And on that note, that's Linda. That's Georgia. And that's Andrew. And this has been the Anvil Podcast from Church's Bookshop. Bye. 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 I was too late. <laughs>